CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sun Joke All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sun Joke All. Good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag telehealth. Today's topic is merging telemedicine and healthcare mobility. And our guests for today's show are Dale Elverson, who is the medical director of the Center for Telehealth and Cyber Medicine Research at the University of New Mexico. Good morning, Dale. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Very good, sir. It's a little gloomy, and now it suddenly started pouring uh, in Chicago. So how's the weather there? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's warm and dry, uh, beautiful blue sky. We need the rain down here in uh, New Mexico in the southwest. We'll share some with you. That'd All right. be great. <laughs> yep, great. Thank you so much again for uh, being on our show. And uh, we have Harun Rashid, who's also the v- v- VP Global Health Services and CIO of the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. Good morning, Harun. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for uh, having me on the show. Definitely. The pleasure is all ours. So work and life doing good? Yes, absolutely. Keeping it busy. Very good. Very good. Now, we've been hearing a lot about telemedicine recently, and we are very impressed by all the discussions there's been around it and how noble all of its potential is. Uh, But the term itself, telemedicine, uh, implies a lot of things, and it's important to somewhat ground this conversation in uh, reality and what can be realistically achieved right now. And uh, with that said, we would like to explore this further by asking the first question. So, Dale, this is the first one for you. Like with any new trend, we always see whether we talk about here telemedicine, telehealth, e-health, m-health, mobile health, you know, the number of different terms that are getting coined every day. Right. To, 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 well, to begin with, we have to kind of get to a common definition or if there is a possibility of even getting to a common definition. Let's explore that. Right. I, and I think there is, and I understand that there, there are, these terms are often used interchangeably. I like to start out when I talk to others about telemedicine, telehealth, that tele comes from the Greek root word, which means distant or remote. And so when we talk about telemedicine or telehealth, it is simply providing health care services over distance using information communication technologies. So, for example, We talk about the telephone, the ability to talk over a distance, the television, seeing something over distance, the telescope, the telegraph. All these terms have tele in front of them and simply mean providing that service at a distance. And so when we talk about telemedicine uh, and telehealth, they're often used interchangeably, but telemedicine generally speaks to the delivery of clinical services over distance, Uh, telehealth is generally seen as a broader term where we're talking about education, training, public health, even administrative uh, activities that can occur using those technologies related to health. And then we talk about e-health. E-health, the electronic health, really encompasses also the use of 
of electronic health records, uh, health information exchange, and again, often complementary when we talk about healthcare delivery over distance. And then mHealth or mobile health is really now this area of using mobile devices to provide healthcare services over distance. So uh, really, I would look at mHealth, the use of smartphones and tablets as really falling under this broader umbrella of telehealth, telemedicine. And then with this comes the issue of incorporating remote monitoring, almost wearable computers and sensors, uh, and a variety of other approaches of using the technology. Uh, and, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about this. I'd like to hear what, how Harun sees this as well. So, Harun, yeah, go ahead with your definition. So perhaps we can look at, well, you know, uh, by the way, Dale, you gave a very good comprehensive definitions of all these different terms. So, Harun, one is to say we can have these terms interchangeably, but do you think there's a risk of us uh, under or uh, underestimating or uh, going for an overkill when it comes to trying to use too many terminologies synonymously? Uh, I think that uh, as it relates to telemedicine, we've been having uh, quite a lot of success with this for the last several years. Uh, in many ways, we've been a pioneer working with the ATA and other teams. Um, I do believe that we're still in the infancy stages of telemedicine and where we need to take it uh, in terms of to be able to improve the quality of care uh, and, and through, for distance uh, population. And there's definitely a lot of challenges which has uh, limited us to be able to uh, deploy this successfully, and we'll talk through that through the show. But I think at this point, interchangeably, uh, we can use that in you know, a lot of different ways, whether it's e-health or m-health as we know it. I think that as the program matures over time, we're probably going to uh, you know, come down to some level of terminations or analogy that defines itself to say, you know, as when we talk about telehealth, it's going to be, you know, this is the program and this is how we deliver. And as the standardization starts uh, propelling through the different state, I think the reason you have so many interchangeable right now is because everybody's kind of going out there and trying to figure this out and understand how they're going to deliver it within their state regionally or domestic or internationally. And the, the lack of standardization has created some of the challenges that we face in the industry today. And as we talk through this, the rest of the show, I, I think that will make, make clear. But eventually, I do believe that we're going to get to some standardized terminology and how we define telemedicine. But for now, you know, there's lots of things out there. And actually, in a way, it's not necessarily a bad thing because it allows us to be able to evaluate each options and identify how best to architecture this for the future generations so that we can be successful in this program. So, and, uh, Dale, uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, if I could just uh, follow on with uh, what Tarun has just said, if I may, uh, a lot of us that are involved in this field of using information and communication technologies for delivery of healthcare, you know, improving access, uh, eventually feel that a lot of these terms will, will, will actually fade away. And this will be clearly integrated into our healthcare delivery system because these are simply tools to provide better access to care and delivery of care uh, to uh, patients, uh, to support providers in ways that we couldn't before. And I believe that over the, the, the future, uh, we probably won't even talk about the term telemedicine. These are just additional tools that help us provide better care. 
Now, with that said, Harun, if you think uh, we, we, while we're going to go through this maze of uh, different terms and try to get some definitions in, uh, in place, with all that is going on in, tele, uh, in health and in healthcare per se, whether it is EMR, EHR issues or, you know, the new type of uh, ACOs and many other challenges that we are grappling with, while telehealth is cool, but is it really hot in terms of its adoption? Well, I, I can tell you that um, it, it has to be our standard of practice for the future. Uh, healthcare is being inundated with lots of different challenges, and you know the ability to continue to just bring patients from the outside uh, to your organization, uh, it's, it's going to have a lot of difficulty in the future. We have reimbursement issues. We have uh, you know uh, lack of clinicians available to us. Uh, some of the rural areas uh, were having to life flight people in when they could be treated very well in a community setting. And I'll give you an example. I mean, at UPMC and at Children's, we've had this program uh, available for quite some time, uh, for a couple of years, actually, and we've been successful in that we've demonstrated that but through the infusion of telemedicine, we can treat the patient in the community hospital via a consultation from their emergency room physician to our emergency room physician, and thereby keeping those children in those community hospitals, treating them and sending them home. Our studies have shown that, especially in our hospital, 48% of the patients that were referred to us you know, from community hospitals that were either brought in by life support ambulance or via other mechanisms, within four to eight hours, they were discharged from our emergency room. Now, that doesn't mean that not everybody had to be here, but the study definitely shows that a lot of those patients could have easily been kept in those emergency room, had a telemedicine consultation, and could have been discharged without having to travel three, four hours, you know, and it's a significant challenge for parents and patients uh, as they have to take time off from work, they have to travel, some people don't like to come to you know, bigger cities, they have uh, a lot of anxiety around those things. So it's, I don't think it's a cool technology. I think it has to become a part of our standard for the future. And we do this for our tele-ICU, tele-NICU, tele-stroke. We have successfully deployed this internationally and, and actually shown that through the use of telemedicine and access to our physicians uh, that we've been able to address mortality rates. Uh, and so it is going to be the way we practice medicine in the future. And uh, this is, yeah, go ahead, uh, if, I, if I could, Harun, I just want to follow on because we've had a very similar experience. We've published this. Uh, the head of neurosurgery at the University of New Mexico Health Sciences Center came to us and said 25% of the transfers for head trauma could have been avoided if I could just see this, the CT brain scan at the time of the transport request. So we set up a secure website so that when a call came in, he could better triage the patient. So we had a hypothesis that if we used telemedicine to allow him to see these images at the time of transport, that he could avoid 25% of, of those transports. We had that data analyzed. We looked at once we did that, what would happen. And in fact, as we've published, 44% of the transfers were avoided. So very similar to what Haroon has just said. And that had incredible implications. One is the patient could stay locally and be monitored safely. Uh, they, we avoided a very expensive transport, usually in New Mexico by air. 
which are approximately $20,000 per transport. And we're the only level one trauma service in New Mexico and often are full. And that means we're on divert and patients have to go out of state if they need trauma care. So that keeps a bed open for patients who really needed to come. So again, this is an example where using the technologies effectively has a very positive impact on healthcare delivery, access to care, and even a return on investment and decreased cost. All right, so with that said, if, if Harun, you were to look at the adoption, and we are talking about adoption of telehealth and mobility, do you think mobility is the very backbone on which this is go- all going to uh, really come into existence and flourish, or is it uh, it is something which, if beyond mobility, we have to think on on other elements which are even more critical? Well, I think that if you if you ask me the question about you know do we have the infrastructure that we have today? to be able to successfully deploy telemedicine? I, I would say yes. There, there's significant amount of technology today. I mean, you know, we can do Skype sessions easily. Physicians are doing Skype sessions with uh, physicians in Africa and providing suggestions and consultation. What, what people don't realize is our physicians across the country have been doing consultations either via phone or other mechanism for quite some time. Now we're enabling them and, and making it better by being able to put a video in front of them so that they can actually see the patient or see the uh, doctor on the other side uh, and some of that. The, the adoption, the reason uh, I believe the adoption has been slow is because of uh, some of the challenges we have. So in the community settings and all, there's inadequate infrastructure. You know, we still are struggling with being able to have fiber backbones and, and you know, high-speed telephone lines and so forth. So that is that in itself becomes a challenge in some communities. And over time, that will address those. But the bigger challenge when it, as it relates to adoption is the regulatory limitations, you know, that allows us to be able to go across state line and, and do things. You know, physician licensing, is another one. You know, this this rule of every, the physician has to be licensed in every state to be able to pr- provide telemedicine is just, uh, you know, uh, limiting us from being able to pr- provide the uh, high degree of service that we can provide. Uh, the public and reimbursement, uh, private reimbursement process is another one. We've had to lobby uh, the Pennsylvania government to finally, uh, you know, uh, and successfully uh, provide Medicaid uh, patients uh, and reimburses for telemedicine. But there are lots of states that are still not there, and the private insurers are not even there in, in terms of being able to support us for those kind of funding. Um, because look what will happen. And you know, we have dermatology patients that do not have uh, funding for telemedicine. So they have to wait four to six hours once they come in because there's only so many, uh, and I'll just speak to children, so many pediatric dermatologists in the state of Pennsylvania. And so, you know, when you have two, pa- two physicians trying to look at 60, 70 kids, they're going to wait. And so, but with the, what we did is through philanthropy and other programs, we were able to create a program whereby we can pay the physicians to be able to do telemedicine. And those kids were being seen at 30 minutes and the physician is 100 miles way and can read those things and the kids can be diagnosed and they're able to go home instead of waiting the entire day. So the limitation, the reason the adoption has been difficult is because of regulatory limitations, licensing and credentialing, public and you know private reimbursement stuff. Uh, there's concerns about malpractice from our physicians, you know, uh, you know, across because of the state line regulations, and then the infrastructure. That that in itself is a 
challenge. But I think that as evolve, as we evolve, the infrastructure in itself, I think, is the least amount of the problem as much as getting the state governments and others to adopt telemedicine as just like another visit into the, in, into the clinic and being able to get reimbursed for that visit. Let's take a quick break, listeners, uh, when we come back. So, Dale, we should further expand on this because, of course, we're starting out. It looks like this has promises, this particular technology or the, uh, the health delivery paradigm. Then, exactly. and, and there are a number of problems, and the waiting game could potentially kill the very enthusiasm that you are able to generate because it has amount of potential. So what is holding people back, which would, uh, like, may be the legislations, may be regulatory authorities, to all come together? Is it just the nature of the beast, or is there something which is happening which is solvable? Or we can just keep complaining about it 10 years from now, that it is still the same, and so telehealth did not... Uh, uh, get up to speed and could have created value, but it did not. So, so let's explore that when we come back. Listeners, please stay tuned. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Dale, based on Haroon's uh, response to the last question in terms of regulatory authorities and other challenges, which is preventing uh, telehealth to reach its full potential. And typically when this happens, it, it has got underlying uh, reasons where people may not feel, may it be regulatory bodies or government, that it may not have the true potential. Or it's like boiling the ocean or there's some other latent challenges which are not unearthed as of yet. So what do you think is going to be happening in next few years? Will we be talking about like a status of telemedicine with both you and Haroon and we'll hear that, okay, we are still struggling or do you think you see the light at the end of the tunnel? Well, I definitely see the light at the end of the tunnel and I think Haroon uh, summarized it very nicely, some of the challenges we face. And I think for all of us, no matter what field we're in, when we see challenges, we try to look for solutions. And uh, just let me mention a couple things. When we look at infrastructure, uh, the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, has had a rural health care pilot program in which we did participate uh, to design, build, and operate broadband to support health care. They now have moved into what's called the Healthcare Connect Fund that will pay a subsidy of 65% uh, toward continued build-out and operations of broadband. 
So those programs, I think, are going to go a long way into closing that digital divide that we see, particularly in remote and rural areas. Uh, this is certainly an issue for us in New Mexico uh, and with uh, our Native American colleagues. Uh, you look at the Navajo Nation, uh, where there are huge gaps in access to care, and now we're starting to close those gaps with improved wireless technology and, in fact, in the Fort Defiance area, uh, uh, in the Navajo Nation, we've uh, started to put in a wireless network that gets connections right out to the chapter houses where where people get their care in the community and even to the house, uh, the home, the Hogan. Uh, and that's where the community health representatives are that are providing services to Native American population. And now we can connect them. And we're looking at using these wireless networks to actually put uh, tablets, mobile devices in their hands so that they can do telemedicine, as we've been discussing, and access health information and also input and document their encounter. So that's just that's one example. The other is in New Mexico, we just had uh, a bill passed, Senate Bill 69, uh, that requires commercial payers to uh, allow uh, telemedicine to be used to provide access to covered benefits and that that should be managed and reimbursed in a manner consistent with a physical face-to-face encounter. That's had a huge impact uh, and now uh, actually people that were hesitant to use telehealth say at the university or other health systems realize they can actually get reimbursed when they do this and there's a renewed growing interest in using these tools to provide delivery of services through telemedicine. Uh, the other thing that's happened in our state because of that bill being signed, Medicaid has been willing to put their rules for use of telemedicine in uh, synch- synchrony with this rule for commercial payers. That's huge. And in fact, Medicaid is seriously looking at removing the uh, the HIPSA requirement, the health professional shortage area requirement, the rural requirement, the non-metropolitan service area requirement, so that even in urban areas, uh, you can get reimbursed for provision of services uh, for Medicaid uh, benefits using telemedicine. These are huge. Also uh, involving what's called Storm Forward, and we haven't really talked about that in those terms, but Storm Forward is a term that's usually used when you capture an image, store it, and forward to a specialist for interpretation. And so now Medicaid in our state is beginning to seriously look at how we can support Storm Forward, particularly for things like dermatology and for ophthalmology, retinal scans for diabetes or for retinopathy of prematurity. These are huge breakthroughs, and I think what's happening is we're showing the benefit that is gained, and in doing so, that they can see a return on investment in supporting telehealth. Uh, so uh, I can g- give you another great example uh, where patients with diabetes in southern New Mexico uh, were brought together for a retinal scan using a special camera where you don't have to dilate the pupil. You don't have to use eye drops. So you just have to be trained to take good pictures of the back of the eye. And they did this with 200 patients in, uh, in southern New Mexico. Of those 200, 40% needed referrals either because of retinopathy, glaucoma, cataracts. So we realized that now we had a system for better screening, picking up problems early. What's most compelling, and I'll finish with this, is that 10 of those 200 patients, 5% of them, had sight-threatening retinopathy. They were going to detach the retina and go blind. 
that was picked up by the screening using telemedicine, storm forward technology. They were treated and blindness was prevented. And what's unusual is CMS, Medicare, still will not pay for that screening for storm forward, except in Alaska and Hawaii. And yet, if those patients had gone blind, the system starts paying for the rehabilitation. And that's a backward system. We need to do better preventive care, uh, uh, better screening, and prevent those more serious complications. Very well, uh, very good response to the question that was asked, Dale. So, Haroon, coming to the areas that we are responsible for, which is the implementation of things that we can control. So coming to the workflow, do you think the organizations are willing to allow telehealth to get blended into the workflow so that it is life as usual and they don't see a disruption in the way they are used to? Because that's where inertia kicks in and people will reject uh, adoption or that, that's where the adoption might, might suffer. And in that, do you think mobility could play a role? Well, I'll talk about our experience. I think it's a, um, depending on the service line, you know, naturally, if you have a patient that is wanting to get an e-visit and is having a chest pain, uh, telemedicine may not be as applicable. They may need to come see a physician or they probably will, should, should see a physician or go to their local emergency room. I think where telemedicine has been very successful uh, is the repeat visits, you know. So if you look at post-op visits uh, or just standard medical visit for diabetes or ophthalmology or some of the other services, um, th there has been a lot of success. But I will also say uh, one of the drivers has to be the physicians. Uh, not everybody is comfortable with it. Uh, there, there's still some hesitancy as to the whole you know, I have to touch, feel, look at the patients, and, you know, and only then I can make sure that everything is as as I feel it needs to be, and as a result, I won't miss anything. So there is that fear that there's, they may miss something if they are looking at it through the computer versus looking at it, you know, face-to-face. Now, technology has advanced significantly in the areas of telemedicine where you now have the ability to use autoscope and other kind of medical devices. And in fact, uh, when we practiced with some of the cameras and light sources and, and uh, other instruments from a distant site, we actually, uh, my ophthalmologist, I remember this clearly said, Harun, this is amazing in that the magnification through this camera is better than my normal human eyesight, and, and I can see things that I could not potentially pick up with my normal you know, eyesight. And the same thing is for dermatology. We can see down to the fabric level of a, in, in such magnification that you just can't do it with normal uh, you know, eyesight. So as far as the technology, that is there. The adoption has to be from the physician side. They have to feel comfortable that they're able to provide the same level of care by doing it at a distant side versus doing it in the office. So I believe there is a you are seeing a progressive move towards doing that. The other thing that we have trended through our telemedicine visit, and we've actually done internationally, we've done over 1,200 consultation in the last 24 months. And domestically, we've done a lot of consultation. And one of the things we found 
through this is that the parents actually or the patients actually have a much favorable experience because they're not having to travel long distance to seek care. They can actually go to a regional center and have that. They actually keep the visit. Because they're not having to travel, they actually keep the appointment. So we have a much higher show rate for people that are in telemedicine visit versus people that are actually traveling, traveling to come to a regional center for treatment of care. They're actually much happier because not only are they facing the patient, I mean the, the physician face-to-face, they're actually able to see through the cameras and other devices what the physician is looking at. So there, there's a good dialogue that's happening between the patient and the physician. So there's also a high degree of satisfaction that comes out of it. So to your question, I think you know we're progressively moving to this platform where you know soon it'll just be another visit. I mean most of us don't go to banks anymore. We we can take a picture of our check now and deposit it into our account, and you know, and we don't worry about. Gee, you know, does that mean it if it's going into my bank account? Direct deposit. Remember the fear we had about direct deposit. Everybody's saying, oh, I, I can't sign up for direct deposit. I've got to have the check in my hand. Well, I think this is also an evolution in healthcare and how we're slowly paving the way to say a visit in telemedicine for repeat visit, post-op visit, and others are going to be no different than you coming and traveling and going into a physician's office in the future. So, uh, Arun, what you definitely mentioned is an evolution, and, and that's how we'll go. But now think about the you, you know uh, epitome of uh, telehealth. Is somebody sitting at home and getting uh, a diagnosis done and perhaps get the preliminary uh, work done with respect to rendering health care? So, Dell, do you think if you are still sending somebody to a regional site, that means only the cases where somebody otherwise would have traveled and now they're given an option of going to a regional site, but still it's a visit out of their home, that still is not the final frontier. Do you think what I just mentioned about sitting at home on your recliner perhaps and and getting yourself checked and getting a prescription, is that what we are going towards or that's something which is just a Star Trek version of what you could ever accomplish? Well, I I think uh, that this will be part of the spectrum. I think bringing more care directly to the patient where they live, where they work, uh, for children in school. We're seeing advantages of that, uh, where they can be more productive, they're more comfortable. And in fact, one could even argue when we're monitoring vital signs, say remote monitoring, it's going to be more natural to be in your home environment as opposed to coming into an office uh, or a clinic uh, where there's what's called the white coat phenomena, where that your blood pressure might even be higher than it normally is, or pulmonary function studies, uh, which are going to be more reflective of uh, your pulmonary function when you're doing it into the environment in which you live or work. So I think there's going to be some advantages in our ability to monitor patients. The other thing is if we're bringing the care to the home, there's better continuity of care. We can pick up problems earlier, and that's certainly been shown in chronic disease. And as we look at an aging population, congestive heart failure, emphysema, and so on, uh, we can use uh, telehome care and remote monitoring to pick up problems earlier, adjust the management, the medications, what have you, and keep patients out of the emergency department and hopefully even out of the hospital. So I think it's going to be part of the way we deliver care. It won't be the only way. And most of us, when we present, go back to... Uh, a magazine published in 1924 called Radio News, and it actually says 
the radio doctor maybe, and it shows a physician seeing a child in their home with what looks like a television set and a camera. So they were way ahead of their time as far as looking at the advantages of using technology to bring care to the patient. I think that the other aspect is what will help the primary care providers, the local providers feel more confident in managing their patients. We'll begin to decrease unnecessary variations in care. The so-called community standard will become more uniform uh, across the country where we can look at evidence-based best practices and telehealth is going to help enable that. And I'll mention one program that's becoming quite well known that started in our Center for Telehealth, and that's Project ECHO. Uh, that's the Extension for Community Health Care Outcomes. And that is a model in where they train primary care providers, get them up to speed with chronic complex disease, let them use evidence-based best practice protocols so they can manage their patients patients better uh, in their community. And that's been a highly successful model. It started with hepatitis C because primary care physicians weren't comfortable with treating hepatitis C, yet it was a curable form of viral hepatitis. And without treatment, 25 percent of those patients would die of cirrhosis or liver cancer. And now patients are being treated by their primary care providers using telemedicine, getting them on the protocol. If they're having complications, they can come back to the telemedicine clinic and discuss it with a team at the university. And I think we're going to see those kind of models as just another way of we can improve healthcare and support the provider in a meaningful way. And I think that will go a long way to improving adoption as well. Let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, when we come back, Haroon, how about us uh, looking at the various uh, healthcare entities uh, that are working together and what is the data exchange, data agility, reliability, integrity, and availability levels that we are able to maintain or even uh, get to the next level in order to deliver reliably uh, this new telehealth. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Haroon, uh, let's uh, talk about the plumbing which is, of course, what we are supposed to do as technology leaders and also what flows through it. And in terms of telehealth and overall healthcare delivery, what are the renewed or elevated expectations which are now being put in place for data agility, availability, reliability in all the ITs, if you will, and in order for us to reliably deliver healthcare and maybe take it to the next level? 
Well, as, as you, as we all know, I mean, this has been one of the uh, biggest barrier, in my opinion, in healthcare: the ability to be able to take your information, electronic health record information, and can carry it or portability of it across, uh, you know, multiple institution or even the state line. I mean, for us to have to, you know, as we travel and if we have an accident somewhere else, I don't have access to my medical record or my provider doesn't have access to that. Uh, and that simply is just unacceptable. And as a result, I think what you are seeing as part of the ARA effort and some of the uh, effort that's going on with CMS and all, you know, institutions are now going towards the HIE uh, effort, health information exchange, to be able to share some common data across uh, different organizations. Uh, again, this has only started, and I know my fellow CIOs and others know that you know we've done the RIOs and we've done some of the other things in the past, and it hasn't worked as well. But I think that the HIE uh, has some bite to it, and we're the ability for us to now share information between uh, like different electronic health records and be, between different institutions. Uh, it, it is evolving, and this is only going to lend itself to be uh, to support the telemedicine even further. Because uh, one of the things that we want to do and all hospitals want to do is that we want to get as much information as we can about a patient before they come to our facility so that we can better you know diagnose the patient we understand the history we understand the treatment protocols that were used and we can effectively treat and not repeat the same studies because we'll have access to it and thereby reducing the cost and improve the quality and outcome of that patient and in order to do that we need to have access to all this information that uh, currently are very much of a challenge to be able to share between organizations. and But the HIE and other uh, factors that are in play will eventually pave the way to allow us to be able to do that. We today uh, have CCDs that we can send our continuum of care documents uh, after visit summaries and things like that that could be sent to primary care or other facilities. And that only is a uh, what I consider is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, and so, as the renewed expectation is going to be, you know, while telemedicine is going to, is is an evolving stage, and I believe it's going to be very successful uh, in the future to come. Uh, the expectation is that, you know, in order to do that, we need to have access to some of this information. We need to have reliable infrastructure, and and we need to be able to treat this patient no matter where they're located by reducing some of the barriers like the regulatory and public and private reimbursement as we talked about, and and it's it's a step in the direction. When you look at the industry as a whole in America, uh, you know, there's only certain there's very limiting amount of people that are really driving this and over time it's going to change and I think that once the government regulations limit some of those things and it opens up the reimbursement protocols and they will because Medicaid has already started accepting some of this stuff. Medicare is already going down that path. It's just a matter of time before some of the reimbursements are taken care of whether it's another year or three years. Once that happens, physicians and others are going to press significantly on the CIOs to say, you know what, uh, I need this to be able to take care of my patients effectively because it is going to also create a quality of life for them because they're now able to treat the patient quickly. They're able to uh, you know, see more patients or at least they're able to diagnose them better because they're not having to wait three, four days to see the patient. And it's going to overall impact the overall quality of 
the care that we deliver. And, and to do that, the physicians are going to press on the CIOs to say, I need access to all this information, and the CIOs have to start getting ready in my opinion, to make sure that that data is available to the physicians to take care of those patients. So, Dale, do you think CIOs or other IT leaders who are being asked to deliver, do they have their hands tied behind their back because of these obvious issues that you're still facing, or there is inertia, or there is lack of resources? No, I I actually feel, Sanjob, and I would like to underscore what Arun said, I think Actually, the interest in health information exchange is gaining momentum for some of the reasons that Harun has already mentioned. That is, we can pull information together about a patient from a variety of places where they've received their care, independent of and agnostic to whatever electronic health record uh, that that health system has used. So if you look at Albuquerque, we've got one of our large uh, not-for-profit health systems is on Epic, and the university is on Cerner, and we have a large practice group that's on all scripts, and uh, another hospital system is on McKesson. The, the issue is that those electronic health records are great internally for those systems, but they can't talk to each other. They can't consolidate information. The health information exchanges are being developed so that data can be consolidated so you have all the information about that patient that is relevant uh, to your evaluation and care. In other words, all of their, their diagnoses and problems, where they were made and when, all of their medications, all of their immunizations, all of uh, their procedures, all of their allergies, uh, and all of their lab data and x-ray data from a variety of different sources now can be consolidated into one document and I think we're going to see this add value so that, so that the CIOs in healthcare systems are going to look at how can that be done. I think they've been struggling with the adoption of the electronic health record. Now we can take full advantage of that by incorporating the health information exchange in a meaningful way. Because quite frankly, whether it's Pittsburgh or whether it's Albuquerque, New Mexico, people are coming from other health systems. And I can give you a couple quick examples. Uh, in our emergency department, we've had increased use of our health information exchange because patients are coming to our emergency room from other systems, and they've been able to significantly decrease unnecessary redundant testing and procedures. Uh, this saves money. It also in- increases the ability to get the patient through the system quickly in the emergency department. Uh, and we just did an analysis where we showed it to be highly significant when you look at before the HIE was available in our emergency department and now for the past uh, year where it was used, significant decrease in redundant tests and procedures. That saves money. That's more rapid throughput through the emergency department, better for the patient, better for the provider. So I believe that CIOs uh, will have to take the use of telehealth and health information exchanges very seriously, and as we demonstrate the value, uh, they're going to adopt it because of the value and the fact that it's improving the standard of care. Now, in terms of uh, the benchmarks and standards, do you think they are still, uh, and this is for you, Haroon, are they still getting developed, or do you think you are at a reasonable uh, level of maturity so that you can start confidently charging ahead, keeping those in mind and say that this is my end goal and that's what I'm going to pursue? Uh, In my opinion, I think the standards are still being developed. Um, You know, the ATA is working diligently in ensuring how we can 
create common threads. Um, you know, if you look at the IT industry, I mean, look at the standardizations we've done in the last, you know, 20 years. I mean, we've done DICOM standardization, HL7 standardization. We still have difficulty being able to send uh, electronic messages to other providers uh, and uh, within whether within your health system or outside your health system. So the standardization is very poor, in my opinion, and I think there needs to be an evolution of that and and with uh you know the cms just passed the uh, ability to do the direct communication which means a physician from one emr can send to another emr a physician on another emr and be able to send messages back and forth but uh, healthcare in my opinion has traditionally been very slow in creating standardizations and i think that's also one of the barriers for, which prevents us from being able to go forward and be successful in some of those so the adoption are going to, as Dale has made, you know, made it a point several times and all, I think we see that uh, the adoption is slowly gaining momentum. I mean, look at the amount of telemedicine vendors that are out there today uh, creating all these peripherals and other things because they recognize that this is a market that's growing and booming. Uh, home care markets um, and others are going to be required to, you know, to come up with new and innovative ways to be able to treat those patients. Uh, you know, so the standardization is a must, and it is something that uh, we in the healthcare industry are looking forward to be able to create some standardization about how do we do licensure. Can we not have licensure? Uh, and uh, I'm getting at a very 30,000 feet level here. You know, why do we have to have licensure for a physician in every state? I mean, because they can go range from anywhere from $100 to $1,000 and so forth, and they can range anywhere from three months to a year to wait for licensures to take place and credentialing to take place. And so we need to create some standardization as it comes to telemedicine to be able to provide, how do we provide an e-visit? How do we provide a second opinion service? How do we do a standardization in terms of and being able to do credentialing and at some point even reimbursements, you know, the kind of reimbursement that can be available or made available uh, so that we can deliver a high degree of care because at the end of the day, it's about the patients and we're trying to create a better life for those patients and, and we really need some of the standardization in the healthcare to, to move this forward. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, Dale would like to understand that while we are talking about all the adoption and the standards and benchmarks, do you think we already, with already a phobia, uh, you can call it fear, a true fear or phobia, with respect to security, uh, is this going to uh, further magnify that phobia, which is going to further create issues. And we have seen situations, we have seen cases where things have gone uh, in the wrong direction, even with our traditional healthcare delivery. So God bless us when it comes to telehealth, where you're creating many number of variables, which you may not truly control. So what is going to be the state? What's the current state? And what is it that we are doing to, to get people over that uh, paranoia that they are carrying uh, with respect to telehealth? So please stay tuned. Great. We'll be right back. Great. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal.
HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, uh, Dale, do you think the security and compliance, or rather, let's stick to security for, for in, in the initial stages of our uh, this question? Uh, we already had paranoia and phobia, uh, you know, as the undercurrent for many healthcare uh, adopters and or the providers that you know we got to safeguard. And with telehealth, you are introducing. Uh, another variable which essentially you don't feel that you're in control because you will be wherever so the information may get lost or could get into the wrong hands. Where do you think uh, this is going? Do you think we are uh, going in a predictable path to uh, make this better or are we going to have to live with this expanded version of the uh, paranoia? Well, it's a great question and it comes up a lot whether it's health information exchange or telehealth. How are we protecting patient privacy and confidentiality? Uh, that's why the HIPAA rules, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, were put in place, and now they've issued more uh, uh, rules and consequences if you don't do your due diligence in, uh, in protecting health information. Uh, and, and I think we are trying then in this country to address that. We expect people to uh, use appropriate policies and standards for for protecting health information. Uh, we've got better encryption systems. And as we introduce mobile devices, smartphones, and tablets, that will become an important issue from a tactical standpoint is to make sure that data transfer and the interaction, whether it's uh, video or storm forward or sharing information, remote monitoring, is reasonably protected. I think the general public has some concern about sharing information and that not letting that get into the hands of those who might use it inappropriately. Uh, we have in our health information exchange an ability to audit and to make sure that patients who uh, have had their information uh, reviewed, that the person reviewing it was the appropriate person to do so. And if they are not, uh, there are consequences, including fines and even imprisonment. So we take it seriously. I think there was the same kind of paranoia, and I think Haroon may have mentioned it earlier in the banking industry. You know what? My my uh, account and and my funds are something really personal and important to me. And now, if we're out there, sort of in cyberspace, am I at risk? Uh, and we know that there is the possibility that there's some uh, there's some bad actors out there that might try to take advantage of getting access to your accounts and your funds. But there are systems in place now to protect you. I think that the general public will see the benefits far outweigh the risks. And, uh, and in fact, that's what we're seeing. In, in New Mexico, just as a quick example, uh, we are what's called an opt-in state. For, for a provider to look at a patient's information, the patient has to opt in and give consent. Uh, and uh, we're finding that over 95% of the consumers, the patients, are opting in. 
They're saying, yeah, I see the advantages of letting someone look at my health information uh, that's out in the cloud in these protected central data repositories uh, or in an, an electronic health record. I see the advantage for me to allow my providers to access it. So I think the general public will want it. Uh, I think there will always be some concern by a certain percentage of the population uh, that maybe have some paranoia about sharing their information, and they can opt out. Uh, and there are consequences uh, if people uh, use that information inappropriately. So, Haroon, we spoke about mobility initially, and we know that going forward, that's going to be the way of life, whatever we do, the way we live our life or do business. So could this become the very focus for telehealth so that people can actually start getting, and we touched this uh, earlier, but to, to make it real, what all fundamental foundational changes we'll have to make in the mobile devices that are being used by individuals and because you don't expect people to be carrying one mobile device which is becoming a phone and also their blood pressure monitor etc but that's possible i mean you cannot say no in terms of technology so so what is it that you see going forward as uh, you know where where there will be a convergence of the consumer technology and the healthcare technology so that it creates one set of mobile technology and 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 processes and services which would make this telehealth possible and get to that final frontier well i think from a provider side we we at the healthcare institutions are already seeing a convergence i mean we you know we are seeing physicians are no longer required to carry i mean even though some places do but you know we're moving everything into a smartphone arena right so we're talking about we're going to give you voice video text uh you know any other data sources that come in and we're going to send it to one environment or one device that allows you to be efficiently manage all a spectrum of your care without having to say, I need to carry three pagers and four phones and all that. Those old days of doing those things are really, in my opinion, over because smartphones have evolved to the point where we now can enable them to use mobility as a platform to take care of. I mean, I have an ICU physician who is actually at home and looking at the patients and providing consultations to the fellows and to other residents and telling them what they need to do just through an iPad from their home through a secured link. And and I think that's the key is, you know, the security. I think that we all can create virtual uh, tunneling and all, and I don't want to get into the technical details because those security features have been in existence for quite some time, as Dale mentioned. We have the proper infrastructure because of HIPAA breach and confidentiality and all that. But to the discussion here is about mobility and adoption. And, and you're going to see that at a much uh, rapid pace because if you look at who is coming out of the colleges and the medical schools and all, this is the generations of iPhone users. You know, they're no longer wanting to sit behind a computer and just be tied down and become typewriters. You know, they want to be able to move from room to room, be able to be mobile, whether they're traveling, whether they're, you know, uh, in a vacation setting or something, and they need, they need to be able to have access to that information so that they can appropriately take care of the patient. I can, and I want to take this a, a step further. You know, most of us that are very healthy and all that, what happens at 2 o'clock in the morning? You know, do you really need to go to the emergency room, or wouldn't it be nice to be able to fire up your iPad and say, let me see who is in my network that's available to me to talk to me because I'm not feeling that well. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. I pay this standard copay, and within a matter of minutes or so, I'm able to connect myself to a physician who can immediately tell me if 
I am okay if I or can maybe run some prescription to my local pharmacy or may say, you know what, this is serious enough, you need to come into the emergency room or direct me to the right, you know, or maybe I can wait till the next day. So those kind of technologies uh, that we're talking about through mobility is just, it is going to be there very soon, in my opinion. And, and there are portal-based already that are available in the country where you can pay a small deductible and you can go to a portal. There are physicians that are available and that can actually take your um, take your uh, appointment and can you know see you or either via phone or even through telemedicine today. So we're not talking about start direct technology. We're talking about things that are really going to be applicable in how we deliver medicine in the very near future through the use of mobility. And mobility is going to play a very very big role because our physicians expect this as part of their lifestyle going forward. Yeah, and so I think it's going to become a standard of care. I think consumers will demand it. I think CIOs and health systems will see the advantages, and we're going to see telehealth and health information exchange fully incorporated in our health system. On behalf of our show and the listeners, thank you so much, uh, Dill and Haroon, for sharing your thoughts on merging telemedicine and the healthcare mobility. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, please, uh, listeners, like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and please be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid.